Good morning, everyone, brothers and sisters. Good to see you today. Um, we're, we're beginning to thin out, which I knew we would. Um, this is, of course, the separating of the real theologians from the pseudo-theologians. So your friends that haven't shown up, just go ahead and say, you know what you are, don't you? And they'll say, what, you're a pseudo-theologian. No, just uh, we expect that to happen, and a lot of people are out of town as well. We should remember them in our prayers. Now, I see a lot of you are already <clears throat> working on your quiz. Notice it's a, um, it's a pop quiz. And if you don't have one, would you just ask someone to pass? Raise your hand if you don't have one, one of these. Okay, everybody's got one. It's, um, it's fine, sure. The goal here is, is just to have a little fun and to see if you're picking up uh, what, what you hopefully need to be picking up. I intentionally called it a no pressure pop quiz. And I indicate that you don't have to turn it in or reveal how well you did. So I'm going to give you just a couple of minutes to finish that. And as soon as, um, hey, how are you, Kathy? <laughs> You're right there in front of me. Good to see you again. You doing well? Good, good. Um, yeah, some of you have missed some classes. It makes me realize that you can't always be here. So a couple of these questions could be a little bit tricky. But um, we're going to go over it before I proceed with the class. That's why I want, want you to uh, finish the questions. And if I keep talking, I'll distract you. <clears throat> Morning, Barbara. How are you? Good. Next week, we probably will consolidate the tables a little bit to make them more uh, proportionate to the number that are in our class. So your daughter's not with you today? No, they're traveling, aren't they? In West Virginia, or yeah, yeah. It always sounds. It's one I want to go with them on. I always want to go where they're going. <laughs> yeah. Give you about uh, two more minutes to, to to take a shot at it. You can just guess at the answers if you like. Again, I'm not going to ask you to turn them in. Hey, that's fine. Help yourself. You have to take a pop quiz. And I may do this from time to time just to see how you're doing. Okay, we're down to one minute. Let's give this Oh, I'm going to 
Okay, I think um, done or not, we'll just go ahead and um, review what the, what the answers should look like, okay? <laughs> In only four words, define theology. Someone want to take a shot at that? I'll start. I'll give you a hint. The. Thank you. Perfect. What are the five branches of theology? This one is probably the hardest question, and it's not critical. Anybody can name all five? Yes, because I have an open book. Okay, <laughs> Martha has an open book. Exegetical, biblical, historical, practical, and systematic. Exactly. Thank you. In your own words, what is systematic theology? Somebody want to give a shot at that? I hope it relates somewhat to how I defined it. It doesn't have to be... Yeah, Carla, okay. A comprehensive study of all the passages of Scripture that have to do with a particular subject. Perfect. Beautiful. In one word, finish the following sentence. You can't go to heaven without being a what? Theologian. Theologian. Oh. What'd you put? I scratched out A and put born again. <laughs> well, it's that born again is not one word. Oh, you're right. That's why I went on and said, do not use the following words, believer. But it's true. You can, I mean, you're absolutely right. So it's just that I'm not going to give you extra credit for that. <laughs> but I hope we all appreciate you cannot, you cannot go to heaven without being a theologian of some sort. Because how do you get to heaven? By believing upon Jesus Christ. Who's Jesus Christ? Your answer is theological. What did he do for us? Your answer is theological. What does the Bible... Hi, Jay. How are you? we got a pastor with us today. Jay Shreve from Emmanuel Baptist. Son-in-law of the Blakemans. Great to see you. My wife, uh, Rachel, is here as well. Well, we're, we're anxious to... She'll, will she be coming into the class? She is, yeah. Hi, girls. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, yeah, so we have to be theologians. Which sola, Latin for only, best relates to today's chapter? Circle only one of the following. What did some of you circle? Only one. Which one? A. Yes. Sola Scriptura. We'll come back to that today. We're going to talk about that with regard to the sufficiency of Scripture. Number six. Fill in the blanks of the following sentence. If the Scriptures are supernaturally what? Inspired by God. And by the way, I meant to have one more line here. And one more line pertains to today's chapter. So, and Jay, your wife's name again, is it? This is my wife, Rachel. Rachel. Hi, Rachel. I know we've met before. Good to, good to have you with us. Um, if the scriptures are supernaturally inspired by God, his word must be, name me, two things. Sorry? Sufficient, that would be today's chapter. Necessary is a valid. Authoritative, one more. Inerrant, without error. Without error. So had I put in the third line, which I failed to put in, we would be showing the order of our study today. 
Okay. We have already talked about the inspiration. Then we talked about, Tim taught us about the inerrancy that is without error. Then I taught about authority. And now today we're looking at the sufficiency, the necessity and the sufficiency of scripture. And of course, the last question is very important. Uh, for a grade of A+, no matter how many of the above questions you may have missed, circle the name of the teacher you have most enjoyed. And, uh, I'm just going to tell you there's some money involved. <laughs> we should have C, both of the above. Very politically correct. Um, if, you, if you circle Tim, I, I have to tell you this, he has a $20 bill for you. <laughs> for each of you. Yeah. However, he's giving half of the proceeds to me. That's something we agreed on. So no, he is he is a very, very gifted teacher, and he will be your teacher next week. Next week, as we talk about the perspicuity of scriptures, and that has nothing to do with deodorant. We don't use the word perspicuity much, but it simply means the clarity. The understandability of scripture. Isn't it wonderful? And I am anticipating Tim's class, but I'm preaching next Sunday, so he's teaching. Isn't it wonderful that God inspired the Bible in such a way that the ordinary Christian can understand it? Isn't that wonderful? It's not for the brilliant. It's for the ordinary Christian. Now, does that mean we don't need the help of the Holy Spirit? No, we desperately need. We can't understand anything rightly without his illuminating help. But we don't have to have an extremely high IQ to understand the Bible. We don't have to have some degree in college to understand the Bible. It's a gift from God to his people. And it transcends all cultures and all levels of education and so forth. So that's what Tim will be teaching us, God willing, next week about the perspicuity of Scripture. Now, um, if I could find... My notes. I've got several. I got so many resources here. I better stop and have a quick talk. I hope not. Um, I took my so let's jump into this. We've used a little bit of time, and I hope that's been helpful. It reinforces. Yes, Dave? Did you hit record? I did. We're recording right now, but always ask me. I appreciate that. Don't. And by the way, these are going to be online. Uh, Dave, do you know how we find them online? I should go to the church website. It should be there. It should say, I think it's a systematic theology. Okay. There's a link. Once you get there, you just click on the link. And we've only had two of them recorded so far. The first one will get recorded. Yeah. Okay. So we are we are recording today. Now, I just want to remind you before we proceed. This is kind of a, a, t a look at the forest. Okay, we're we're in a helicopter. We're going up a little bit. We're not looking at individual trees. We're trying to see the forest. But if you will go to your text one more time. I won't do this over and over, but on the front end, I think it's a little bit helpful. Roman numeral 9, but Roman numeral 9, not, not regular numerals, but Roman numeral 9. You will see the outline. Dr. Allison has divided 
all of systematic theology into eight major branches of theology. And this is quite common to systematic theologies. And almost all systematic theologies begin where Dr. Allison begins. I'm holding here Wayne Grudem. I highly recommend this. This was written really for lay people. He starts as well with the doctrine of the word. Why do we start with the doctrine of the word? Because without the word, we have no, no legitimate theology. It's our foundation. We presuppose, we start with the assumption that God has revealed himself and all that we need to know in the scriptures. So whatever we believe is to be found in the word. Well, when you start thinking about the doctrine of the word, there are a number of specific categories, aren't there? One, what is it? Where did it come from? Well, it was inspired by God the Holy Spirit. And because it was inspired by God the Holy Spirit, it is truthful, or to use a more technical word, it's inerrant. There are no errors in the Bible. Did you all notice that he says that, you know, in the history of the church, if you take all the errors that are commonly thrown at the Bible, it really comes down to about 60, 60 in the Bible, and every one of them are resolvable. Every one of them is resolvable. Some of them are difficult, we admit that. But when liberals tell you, oh, the Bible's full of errors, you know, of course, the first thing to say is, well, I'm sorry, to, sorry that you believe that, but maybe I could help you. Would you take me to one of those errors? And be, be bold about it. And be ready to say, you know, I'm not sure exactly how to best answer that. I'll, I'll chase that down. Let's, let's have another cup of coffee over that. But I'm... I'm pretty comfortable in saying that, first of all, they're going to say, well, I don't know exactly where they are right now, but I know they're in there. Well, that's, that's not really fair, is it? But then again, we don't want to be smart. We just want to say, well, why don't you find them and let's talk about that, and I'll give you my best shot. They're, most all of them are easily answered. So we believe in the truthfulness of Scriptures. We believe in the authority of Scripture. We believe in, in today in the sufficiency of Scripture. So you see where he's going under the doctrine of the Word. We only have three more uh, studies on this. Next week, as I said, Tim is going to come, and he's going to teach us about the clarity of Scripture. Now, these, these things, um, truthfulness, authority, sufficiency, clarity, and actually the next one, the transformative power of Scripture, these are things that we can rightfully call, we can rightfully call these things attributes. They're attributes of Scripture. These are qualities of Scripture because God is the author. He himself has attributes. We're not confusing the attributes of God with the attributes of Scripture, but the attributes of Scripture come out of His inspiring the Bible. And because God has inspired the Bible, then we can say that it is truthful. We can say that it is authoritative. We can say that it is 
sufficient. I'm not going to go ahead and fill out the tree, but the reason I do these two things, and I don't know that I'll be doing this all year, but I'm just trying to help you understand that these attributes, let's say inerrancy, let's say authority, and we'll just write in one more, sufficiency. Okay. These attributes flow, and I, I like that word, that's important, they flow out of divine inspiration because God is its author. Why would we be surprised to say that the Bible has no errors? It has no errors because of who wrote it, ultimately. Why would we be surprised to say that the Bible has authority? If God is the one who wrote it, how could it not have authority? Why would we be surprised to say that the Bible is sufficient to answer everything we need to know? Keyword need. And, and, and Jay, be thinking a second maybe of some illustrations of some stuff we, we'd like to know. But, you know, the Bible just doesn't tell us that. You don't have to answer that right now, but I'll come back to you if you just have an illustration or two. But everything we need to know is revealed. Everything that we need to know, we can find it in the Bible because it's sufficient for everything we really need to know. That's why those two words, necessity and sufficiency, kind of go together. Personally, I like to use the words necessity first. We first need the scriptures in order to become Christians, but we find that the Bible also is sufficient for everything else that we need, you know, for the Christian life and how to face dilemmas. So these are the attributes. You all understand? This is not the attribute. This is the character of the Bible. The Bible is inspired, supernaturally inspired, but because it's inspired, it has these attributes. We're just looking at the attributes. Anybody want to make a comment at this point or ask a question? Nothing profound about that, so it's fine if we move on. Um, actually, we're going to come back in a few minutes to that question that I asked Jay. I told you, Jay's a pastor, and um, but you don't. But again, you don't have to be a pastor to know the answer to that question. Fellow disciple, right? Fellow disciple. Fellow disciple. Okay. <laughs> but laboring in a local church as one of the beloved pastors. All right, so that's where we are. That's the helicopter view. I don't know how high helicopters go. You, when we're talking about jets, that's 30, 32,000, 30,000 foot look, where we are, where we're headed. So we want to think today about the necessity and the sufficiency of scriptures. And I'll just use one little illustration. I don't know if it's worth anything. But I was thinking about this this week. If, um, if you knew, if we did know and could know that an F5 tornado is coming to Owensboro and it's coming down your street and it's lit, your house is directly in the path of that tornado, an F5, you need more than a bathroom or a small closet to survive for an F5. 
what you really need is a tornado shelter. One that's underground, that has one of those round steel doors that closes, that latches from beneath. And if you purchased one with a view of an F5 coming, you need that. But then the question is, you ask the salesman, will it really keep me safe? Will it really be tornado proof for me? And he will argue legitimately, yes, you're completely safe in an underground shelter with a small lid that is latched from beneath. It is sufficient. It's not just something you need. It's sufficient. So we desperately need the revelation of God. Otherwise, we're all ignorant. We're all blind. We're going to stumble all over the place. We're left to our own thinking. But we also find that because it's supernaturally inspired, it's sufficient. It's sufficient for everything I could possibly need. And I just want to comfort you, brothers and sisters, to know that in the in your future, you're going to face a lot of dilemmas. And if you're a true Christian, you're going to run to God's word and you're going to seek for wisdom. Never! Never! Never will you say, I looked, but I couldn't find any help from the Bible on that subject. Now remember, it's not about things that the Bible doesn't deal with. You know, which insurance company I should go with, what car I should buy, of course not. I'm talking about moral, spiritual, life issue questions. The truths of God's word are sufficient because of the graciousness of God in giving us this revelation. I hope you have that kind of confidence in the Bible. And I hope also that as you go to the Bible again and again and again and again and again, you just say, this book is amazing because its author is amazing. There's my answer. There it is. It's in Scripture. God has revealed. He's, indeed, he has given me everything that I need to know. It is really sufficient for all of my dilemmas in life. So that's, that's what we're talking about, okay? Now, what are the scriptural grounds? Let's quickly look at some of them. And I, I like his passages, and I hope that as you study... Did you know, uh, Jay, that we're going through Allison's book? I did. I was excited to see that. You probably know. <laughs> Do you know Dr. Allison? I know that. Yeah. Well, God willing, he's coming to teach one of our classes, and then he's going to preach for us. I, I read some of this marvelous book. Yeah, it's great. So... Please, brothers and sisters, when you um, come to these chapters, and this one is um, on page 31, at the, but when you turn to page 32, he has his, screen, uh, his key scriptures. So how many of you are, are looking up each of those passages? I expect it to be a, kind of a smaller group. Hold your hand pretty high. How many of you are looking up? You're trying to look up all the passages. Okay. So good for you. I would encourage all of you to do that because, again, if, if what he's going to say in this chapter isn't rooted in and founded upon what the Bible teaches, I don't care what Greg Allison thinks. I don't care how erudite he is. I don't care how many PhDs he has. But, but neither does he care. What he cares about is 
do I have scriptural grounds to believe what I'm asserting in this chapter? And I'm asserting in this chapter that we need the scriptures and that the scriptures are sufficient for everything else we need besides salvation. And I'm going to prove it by the Bible, and that's what he did. So we have Deuteronomy 4.2, and um, let's just look at these passages for a few minutes. We've got to be sure we're in the Word here. Deuteronomy 4.2. I want to volunteer to read for us. Actually, you can start with verse 1. I think it would be good to read verse 1. Who will read for us verses 1 and 2 of Deuteronomy or just just start reading. Just start reading. Read loud enough, though, that maybe it can be picked up by the recorder. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live, and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Thank you, Ashley. Now, notice the, the negative command, you shall not add to the word. Several of the passages that we're going to look at now in the next couple of minutes are going to reinforce that. What would be wrong with adding to the word of God? Larry, why, is, what do we, why would it be, and then Jim has a comment, why would it be wrong to add to the word of God? No. Yeah. Would that be an act of Dave? Well, let me go to Jim and then come to you today. Would that be an act of humility on our part if we added to the Word of God? Go ahead, Jim. Well, it's arrogance. The, the devil tempted Eve. You know, did God really say? Yes. And yes. So, yes. Exactly. And that was a slight alteration of the Word of God, yeah, which ended up having major consequences. It, it thrust us all into the fall. Dave? It would put you on par with God. That's right. It would just, it would, you're arrogating yourself to the level of God. Because I have a right to dictate on these matters. Well, I'm jumping a little ahead, a little bit ahead here, but how do we sometimes add to the scriptures. How in the history of the church, how have the scriptures been added to? Thoughts on that? Paul? Tradition. Tradition. That's exactly what I had in mind. Now I want to be very gracious today in the few things that I say about Roman Catholicism. Okay? I'm not a basher of of other faiths and so forth. I'm going to be very gracious about that. But this is a fact. The Roman Catholic Church doesn't apologize for this. They will tell you this, that their authority um, for the church and for individuals is based upon two things. It's based upon two things, the Bible and tradition. And you can ask different friends who belong to the Roman Catholic Church, why do you believe that? Where is that found? And they'll say, well, that's been a tradition for centuries. Um, many people believed that decades, centuries ago, and the church has embraced that and considered that to be truth. And these truths have gathered. Not, not all traditions are, are, we know that, they're not all biblical. 
how we celebrate Thanksgiving and how we do Christmas is a tradition. That's not a biblical thing. But the, the Roman Catholic Church, doesn't, they're not embarrassed about that. They, they don't apologize for that. They admit it. That the authority of the church is based on two sources. And then the church speaks for the Bible and tradition. And that's why I ask in this little quiz, which sola most addresses the issue of today's class? And it is only scripture. By the way, don't be nearly as concerned. Have we, did you answer my, the question too, Dave? Did you give your answer? Okay. It was so profound that it blew me away, and I can't even remember it. <laughs> what did you say again? Tell me once more. Because I, I, I agreed with you immediately when you said it. Was it, was it? We make ourselves on par with God. That, that's right. That's the arrogance. Thank you for reminding me. It was a good insight. Um, but we can't allow tradition to become our... That's one of the ways we add to the Word of God. And then that's a denial of sola scriptura. And here's what I was about to say. I'm more interested in you knowing the five solas than knowing the five points of Calvinism. Okay, this is just an aside. I'm throwing this one in there. I'm not going to charge for this. Do I believe in the five points of Calvinism? Absolutely. Do I think they're biblical? Yes. John Calvin himself never heard of the five points, but he believed in all of them. But it's far more important to believe in the five solas, starting with only Scripture, the uh, sola scriptura, those are Latin terms. Only grace, sola gratia. Only by faith, sola fide. Only in Christ, solus Christus. Only for the glory of God, solo dea gloria. These are the great, great truths that were discovered and published during the time of the Reformation. And, and so, when it comes to authority, is it the Bible plus something, or is it the Bible plus nothing? And our answer is, and this truth, of course, came out in the Reformation, it's the Bible plus nothing. It's solo scripture, only the Bible. That's our ultimate authority. So, you're right, Paula, <clears throat> one of the ways that we add to the Bible is by tradition. What are some other ways that we sort of add to the Bible? Maybe not, we have Martha? As the culture changes, uh, sometimes we don't we don't compare what they're calling good, what the culture, our society calls good, mm -hmm. and what God calls good. So we can fall into a world of thinking just because the culture says. And it becomes as authoritative to to yeah. people as the Bible. Yeah, you know, for yeah. instance, just because we accept homosexuality because of the person. Yeah. Yet it's not acceptable because yeah. God said it's not. Yes. But that doesn't mean we hate the person, of course. But in other words, I see many people just deciding because society today believes it's acceptable. That's a good illustration. That's a great illustration. Yeah, Dave? I think especially in our culture today, is a, a, we exalt the subjective feelings and uh, thoughts that we have to the level of Scripture. Yeah. Yeah. We do. And how about how about Dave? I like that. Would you illustrate that? Because I, I already agree with you, but how, how does legalism become uh, something we've added to the Bible? Uh, 
tendency for a legalist is to take something that, well, in my mind anyway, is that uh, is is not specific, and they make it specific. In other words, uh, for example, uh, you can't go to movies, um, mm-hmm. and that's a legalistic viewpoint because they say it has, you know different connotations of different movies, how will they know what movie you're going in to see and so forth so on, for testimony's sake. Um, but then they'll go home and watch whatever they want on TV, you know, that kind of thing. So they, they're, Probably they're little, inconsistencies. That's, that's right. just one example. There's lots of <clears throat> you can apply to um, alcohol, apply to different, different aspects of Christian life, dancing, whatever. And the thing that makes it so subtle, brothers and sisters, is that Often there's a there's a conviction that's rooted in a biblical principle. But what happens is when we make rules with regard to how to apply that that principle, then we raise our particular view of how it ought to be applied to the level of scripture. And if you don't do it that way, then you're sinning. And yet the Bible leaves us to the Christian liberty of determining how can I best honor this principle and show genuine, heartfelt, humble obedience to the Word of God without becoming a legalist. And then you become self-righteous too because you are truly holier than thou and none of us want to become holier than thou. It's a good illustration. Dave? Uh, Almost every cult has begun with extra-biblical revelation. Or at least they say God gave them a book mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. that contradicts the scriptures. That's true. That's true. Well, I think I could easily glean a lot more hopeful comments from you, but we do need to keep moving on. I'm going to go ahead and jump back for a second now to the distinction between um, the things that we need to know and the things that we wish we could know, okay? Anybody here wish that you that the Bible really talked about fill in the blank? And I asked Jay maybe to give us an illustration, maybe some of the rest of you have, or two or three illustrations you'd like. Uh, Jay, what would be an illustration of something that the Bible just simply doesn't address as much as we wish it had? Well, first thing I pops in my mind and Rachel and I talked about this a good bit. It's, it's more it's less it's less about how to operate in this world of decisions. It's more about just as it revealed it. Really just the, the details of heaven. Okay. Um, <laughs> that will be like or um, so we're not we're not we're not married or given in marriage, but uh, we'll have to recognize Rachel in heaven as having been my wife. And I just sit really close to her. Yeah. Kind of stuff. I've come to the conclusions on those that are short, just a little short of being biblical, but I'd die on them. I'm gonna, my wife and I are still going to be married throughout the eternal. No, I'm kidding. I only wish that. No, that's a great illustration. Um, don't you wonder what uh, heaven will be like? The, the renewed earth? Don't you wonder... Um, when we experience glorification, Romans chapter 8, at the return of Christ and we're raised and we're given glorified bodies, what age will we be? Yeah. Yeah. Will infants be yeah. infants on the earth? 
who somehow don't need to be cared for? Will we be, will you think of the dearest old saint you know who died at 96? And she's beautiful to you, even though she's old and has many, many wrinkles and is bent over and so forth. Is God going to make her a beautiful 96-year-old woman? Here's another question. How old were Adam and Eve the day after they were created? So one, one day old. Did they look like they were one day old? No. They probably looked like they were in their late teens or perhaps early 20s. We don't know. We can only speculate. All we know is that he was one doggone good-looking guy. And she was beautiful. <laughs> they were beautiful. And had they not, and had we not with them fallen, we would all still be beautiful. And we wouldn't age. We would mature, perhaps in some definition of that word, but we wouldn't age. Because aging is the slow, incremental movement toward death. That's just an illustration. There's so many things I was I wrote in my the scriptures are not sufficient to satisfy our curiosities what we will appear to be um, how will we participate in the day of judgment the, Jesus says that we're going to judge the world I mean the, the, there's lots and lots and lots of them anybody want to share a curiosity that you wish you knew the answer to but you, you but you're humble enough to say it's not in the Bible I don't need to know I need to know it being there yes Marie in the beginning there's no measurement of time and so so people on creation versus evolution mm-hmm. and you, know, you can't make something from nothing mm-hmm. and so the universe is created the world is created but what was before that yeah. I mean, yeah. in the beginning there was the word, etc. That part of me wants to go, all right, now where did that really start? Right. You know, how, how do we kind of right. understand something so not understandable? And how, yeah. How, yeah. how there was God and there was nothing. All yeah. Have you guys memorized, that's a great illustration. Have you guys memorized Deuteronomy 2929? Who can quote it for me? Okay, let's look at it. That's very close, Jim. That's the essence of Deuteronomy 29, 29. This is a little excursion. You ought to memorize this verse. 29, 29. So we acknowledge that there are some secret things that God hasn't chosen to reveal. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. They belong to Him. What belongs to Him? The secret things. Oh, then there are some secret things. By the way, I was just talking to our little group that was gathering for prayer this morning and just saying, when you read the Bible, for example, a passage like the one Pastor Keith will be preaching on this morning, the, one of the best ways to help understand it is to ask yourself questions. 
or make observations. You just have a notebook. Okay, come to verse 29. It says, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. Hmm, there must be some secret things. That's a, that's a duh. There are some secret things. And <clears throat> secret things, these secret things belong to God. God knows everything. They're not secrets to him. They're secrets to us. But the things that are revealed, and you write down, isn't it a great blessing that God has revealed a lot of stuff to us? Here's a whole book of Revelation. The things that are revealed, there is such a thing as Revelation. That's the conclusion. And they belong to us. Well, if it belongs to you, why don't you enjoy it? I want to say, dear people, this is also anticipating the conclusion of our study today with regard to application. There's a whole lot of stuff in here that belongs to us. That it, we live as if we don't even care about it. I don't care. I'm not studying that much. It'll all be, you know, we'll all understand it when Jesus goes. Are you kidding? God gave us the Bible. It's a gift. It belongs to us now. He didn't give it to us so that in eternity we would finally discover it. He gave it to us so that we could get an appetite that's just ferocious to know more about it in eternity. But in the meantime, I want to know everything I can know about it because it's in there. It's revealed for us. It's a gift from God. Does your desire and does your practice of reading the Bible, studying the Bible, meditating upon the Bible, is it commensurate? Is it equal with? Does it reflect this high view that God has deposited in the Scripture Things that are not meant to be secrets. They're things meant to be understood. Does your hunger for the word of God reflect an appreciation for really discovering this, the things that are not secret? It ought to. Mine doesn't as it should. But it ought to. Yes. Yes, absolutely, Jim. Anybody can anytime, by the way. thing too, Jim, because I think in this context, it, I, I wouldn't die on this beach because I need to study it again, but in this context, I think the reason why the Lord did not give them a heart to understand was because of their sin and their rebellion. So it may be or may not be. So that's also a problem. And so we need to say, God, is there anything in my life? That, am I so grieving the Holy Spirit that I shouldn't say, Holy Spirit, please open this passage to me? Because he says, no, I'm not going to open that to you. You grieve me all day long. You're continuing this sin, and you want me to give you beautiful insights into the Word of God? Get your life right with God. Repent of your sin. Seek the Lord with all of your heart, and the Holy Spirit will give you understanding. So there's that whole dynamic. Do you agree, agree with that? Do you agree yeah, with that? I agree with that. I was only mentioning that. Yeah. That our eyes, sometimes, you know, when we are blinded, we have not had our eyes open. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Ashley? So I always go back to this, and I think it's part of why I struggle, not so much with what the Bible doesn't cover, but my fallibility to understand the things that are in there, um, like the Trinity, <laughs> trying mm -hmm. to understand three mm -hmm. and one. Like, I believe it, 
Right. You know, I submit to it, but it's hard to, I, I can't, I, I can't explain it. But Which, by the way, the Puritans said about that, um, try to understand the Trinity and it will drive you insane. Yeah. Deny the Trinity and it will drive you in hell. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Um, but <clears throat> this Proverbs 25, 2, it is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. Yeah. And I always yeah, go yeah. back to That's that great. because yeah. even, even the things that I don't understand, I think I struggle with, well, when do I stop trying to search that out? I mean, yeah. obviously, probably never. But there's things that I can get. I mean, when I first started coming here, like it drove me nuts trying to understand <laughs> the doctrines of grace. Yeah. You know, and I you mean, were, God, by the way, you were nuts before you got here too. You know, <laughs> you know. I just want you to be humble about that. Okay. We all said that lady's nutty. <laughs> Now you're saying you didn't get not didn't until you well, got here. It's not true. Maybe more nutty. <laughs> okay. um, but yeah, I think I just I struggle with that sometimes, like not getting to I don't know. I get worked up about it and yeah, I want to yeah. understand it. And I feel like some things, like you said, that sermon that you preached before I ever got here, you bow to the mystery. Yeah, yeah. If I can say this humbly, and God asked me. What do you think is one of the most significant sermons you ever preached in the entirety of your pastoral ministry? Which is approaching 46 years. I would say without hesitating, I think one of the most significant sermons I've ever preached in my life was entitled Bowing, Bowing Before Mystery. Where I tried to look at um, seeming contradictions in the Bible. They're not, but they seem to be contradictions. How do you bring these things together? Divine sovereignty, human responsibility. There are several antinomies. That's what theologians call them. And it's anti-nomos. They seem to go against the laws of logic. They don't go against it. They're just above it. And when you come to them, you've got A and B, and they seem mutually exclusive. What do you do? Well, if you're arrogant, you choose one over the other. If you're humble, you say, I don't know how to put these together, but they're both true. So that's that's what you're referring to. And we've got to always have that posture so that when we come before these things that we don't understand, we say, God, give me as much light as you're willing to give me based upon the word of God on this subject. And don't let me speculate beyond scripture. Linda? A verse that's always been comforting to me is in First Peter, verse 12. The end of the verse says, things into which the angels long to work. Yes. Oh, man, that's great. That is, that's just that's great. That is so good. First Peter what? First Peter 12. Verse um, 12 is the end of the verse. I, I'm going to make a judgment here that I, I trust is from the Lord. And I'm going to jump. I, I want you, to, I don't want to minimize the importance of these passages. If you, if you go back those of you who haven't yet read these proof texts, Psalm 19, 7 through 11. David describes the Word of God as perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. And he identified some of the things that his Word does in our lives. It revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart and enlightens the eyes. It endures forever. And that's and a, another one. Go to the Bible. Go to these texts, dear brothers and sisters. 
and be even more persuaded that God designed the Bible not only to be necessary, but sufficient for everything we possibly need to know. And I want to jump now to what I think is really important before our time is up so that we can still pray. Um, I think we still have to deal with the so what. We always have to deal with the so what. Never study any doctrine. Never read a passage of scripture without saying so what. It may not be telling you to do something, but it certainly is telling you to understand something. Always ask and answer the so what. What am I going to do with this? What am I supposed to do with this? And I want to put this challenge before you folks. If in fact the Bible is divinely inspired, supernaturally inspired, and it has no errors, and it's absolutely authoritative, and it tells us everything we need to know, what difference should that make in my relationship to this book on a daily basis? I think there's a huge disconnect between what we believe in our heads about the Bible and what we do with our lives, a huge disconnect. <clears throat> and one of the things we need to do with this book, of course, is to study it and to pour over it. And, and I'm going to do something. I'm going to show you something really quickly, and I've got to keep my train of thought. This is a very valuable book in my library. I've got a lot of antiquated books. Some of them I've purchased. Some of them have been given to me. This book was given to me by John Bloor. Some of you know who John Bloor was. This building is named after his son who died at a young age. Go outside and look at the granite plat uh, the granite, what do you call that thing? It's, it's, on our, it's, it's embedded in the brick of our building. Plat. Cornerstone. Cornerstone. Look at it. John Bloor, dear, dear man of God. He loved old books. And he gave all of his old books to me before he died. This book is the oldest book I have. It was printed in 1620, written by uh, a great theologian that some of the pastors love to quote, quote, Joseph Hall. We love it. This book is called Shaking of the Olive Tree. He only paid $525 for this book. That was then. It's worth more than that now. It means so much to me because, first of all, John gave it to me. And then secondly, I enjoy antiquated books, particularly if they're by great authors. But you know what? This book means very little in comparison to this book. You know what this is? It's a Bible. This is my dad's Bible. And my dad, I think, illustrated what should characterize all of us, and I'm sure it does, so don't... Don't hear me saying, well, PT doesn't think any of us love the Bible and spend time with it. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying we've got to love it more. We've got to love it more. And I'm going to, I'm going to open it up to, um, oh, this is, this is John, but I'm going to go to Ephesians. You can hide behind these pages. I'm not worried about you handling it, but I'm going to ask you, just to uh, just pass it down and keep passing because we've got a few minutes. Here's a man, here's a man who loved the Bible and believed that it was divinely inspired. And because it was divinely inspired, 
that it had no errors and that it really had authority over his life and that it was really sufficient for everything we need because every day of my dad's life, he was in that book. Now listen, dear people, someday you're going to die. I think I'm a lot closer to that than you. And your kids are going to get your Bible. And I just want to know if your Bible is going to be a witness to how much you loved God's Word. I don't love it as I ought. I need to spend more time in it. Reading. Meditating. Pouring over it. Feasting upon it. Working it out in my lives. Yeah, just keep that moving if you will, Ashley. Thank you. It's just an illustration. In a sense, what all of our Bibles should look. My Bible is... My Bible has thousands of remarks in it now. I do a lot of stuff. It's not like that one. Not yet. If If I lost this Bible and someone found it and said... What will you pay to get it back? I promise you I would pay $5,000 in a heartbeat to get this particular Bible back. Because I have thousands of notations in my own Bible. But my love for God's Word is pitiful. So don't hear the wrong thing. I'm not bragging. I'm confessing. Dear people, if we really believe what we say we believe about the Bible, then we need to be living in this book. We need to be meditating on this book. We need to be feasting on this book. And along those lines, with regard to meditation, this is what Charles Spurgeon said. I got this little booklet. We get these things. And this one's given over entirely to meditation. And the first one is a very profitable exercise by Charles Spurgeon. And I'm just going to read to you one paragraph, and then, then we'll pray. He says, The best and most saintly of men have been men of meditation. So this is elevating the scripture, okay? Because you love God's word, you're going to think about it. You're going to mull it over in your mind. You're going to pause. You're going to reflect. You're going to pray over it. Isaac went out into the fields at eventide to meditate. David says, I will meditate in thy statutes. Now, I found um, several passages on meditating, but we can't look at them all. If you want to jot it, it's Psalm 1-2. Psalm 119.15, a lot of them in Psalm 119. By the way, the whole Psalm 119 is about the Bible. (laughs) David is just extolling the value of the Word of God in his life. And repeatedly he talks about meditating. i got more of them. I can give them to him if you want them. And I, I don't think I should even read all of this. To the Christian, meditation is most essential. I should almost question the being of a Christian, and I should positively deny his well-being who lived habitually without meditation. On what? Now, this is an Eastern Transcendental meditation. This is Christian Bible meditation. Meditation and prayer are twin sisters, and both appear to me equally necessary to the Christian life. I think meditation must exist where there is prayer, and prayer is sure to exist where there is meditation. My brethren... There is nothing more lacking to make Christians grow in grace nowadays than meditation. Most of you are painfully negligent in this matter. How often do you, through lack of meditation, miss the entire purpose for which the sermon was designed? 
Unless you meditate upon the truths we declare unto you, you will gather little sweetness, you will acquire little profit, and certainly you will be in no wise established therein to your edification. Listen, can you get the honey from the comb until you press it? That's sort of an archaic thing. But if you know, if you found a real honeycomb and you got the bees away and you got this big this big comb, okay? Can you really enjoy the sweetness of the comb until you press it and just get the get the honey out of the wax? So this is what Spurgeon is saying. Can you get the honey from the comb until you press it? You may be refreshed while you listen to the sermon, but it is the meditation afterwards that extracts the honey and gets the best and most luscious savor therefrom. And the same is true with reading the Bible. In fact, I would make that my emphasis. We hear a sermon once a week. We should be reading every day of our lives and meditating upon it. You know why? Because the Bible is sufficient for everything you'll ever need the rest of your life. Okay, we've got to conclude. We only have we only have two minutes left, and I want to conclude on time. Um, I'm just going to ask Gary, would you please lead us in thanking God for the Bible and helping us and asking to help us really value it and work it out in our lives? Let's pray together. Amen.